0: What's up, everybody? Happy January. I am up here in Santa Cruz, California, and it is pouring rain outside. I learned a new word the other day. The word is petrature. And petrature is the sweet smell that accompanies the first rain after a long, dry period of weather. So next time you're walking down the street, you can say... Ah, you smell that petrature in the air? Smells good. Thank you to everyone who has been supporting this podcast on Patreon, as well as through the Amazon affiliate program. For those of you who don't know, you can go over to my website, Kyle.Surf. And the Amazon affiliate program allows me to get a percentage of anything you buy on Amazon at no cost to you, just by using the code. So you can go to the book club um, on my website And use that link and just bookmark it. Um, And then anything you buy, I will get a a percentage of. So book club, you click it. I I have all my favorite books up there as well. So you might dig some of those. Um, And yeah, you just save that that link and um, I can get some cash, cash money. Um, And I also said I'm on Patreon. So head over to Kyle.Surf and that's how you can support the show. This episode was with Adam Rep Adam is one of the best surfers to ever come out of Santa Cruz. He's also one of the most well respected surfers to ever come out of this town. He's always been really a good guy. Um and on this podcast he was honest and transparent. Um we talked about some real shit. I always I really appreciate it when people are willing to open up and um talk about talk about tough stuff that, um, is vulnerable. So, you know, as a community, whether that's the Santa Cruz community or the community that we have here on the podcast, um, reaching out to people who are vulnerable and willing to share saying, Hey, you know, that was cool. Um, you know, we need more of it. So we can, uh, we can hop right into this one. Um, I also want to let you know there's a recent documentary that just came out about Adam made by a filmmaker named Kyle Boothman. Um it's called Brainworks. And I will link to that documentary under Adam's um page on on my website. So just click the podcast page and you can see it. It's really well done. Twelve minute uh micro documentary, and you'll get a good sense of who the guy is. So, um, As always, you can reach out to me with feedback on the show. I'm on Instagram. Um, Adam's also on Instagram. And um, you can also email me by heading over to the website. All right. Stay dry out there. And we got some good waves coming. So I hope that uh, everyone out there can get some time off work and get in the ocean. All right. I bring you Adam Replogle. and away we go all right adam repogle in the house
2: rep Replogal, rep logo yeah adam rep Logel. Adam. sort of a tongue twister but i never correct people <laughs> yeah
0: um the penny collector have you been collecting many pennies lately
2: yeah i've been trying to actually but um i've failed lately ironically too i went surfing last week um with rufo and a friend and um didn't find a penny and sure enough i swear i saw a shark really yeah <laughs> so and, and rufo's all no 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 adam those were a couple seals i'm all rufo i saw some big shadow behind that seal and um the gal that we were surfing with i said hey i think we should go in you know really calmly but i was shaken on the inside so what's the story behind the penny collection um well i like to collect money obviously who doesn't um now I'm superstitious in a lot of ways. I really feel that uh, when I see a penny, regardless heads up, tails down, whatever it is that I I want to take it, and I want to get good luck. To me, um, gives me a lot of stuff. You know, I get a lot of uh, uh, um. So I collect five pennies, right? Say I collect five pennies this morning. I will uh, before I served. I will guaranteed catch five set ways. You know, that's you know I do that kind of stuff. Um, Mm. If I find 25 pennies, sometimes I'll, I'll go get twenty, just 25 waves. What did you find a quarter? That's what I mean. 25 cents. If I, I go get 25 waves. I look at it individually, like mm. 25 pennies. I like
0: that. Uh, but I get tons of pennies. It like, seems to be working out for you quite well.
2: Yeah, well. You tend to get the best waves. No bull, bullshit. Um, I, I do do it out of just uh, that old superstitious luck of wanting to have good luck. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, basically it. And, um, I felt that surfing up North, a lot of times I didn't want to enter the water without having some good luck. And that was a part of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I bet it makes a difference. There's a lot of science coming out around placebo around our thoughts and how they affect our biology. I mean, you can think of it like anyone ever tell you if you had a wart that, you know, you cut an onion, you put it under a rock on a full moon and your wart will go away. There's no scientific evidence to back that, but people's warts have gone away when they've done that. So that means that your body knows what part of your body has a wart. Right. It will send uh attack cells to attack a wart and a wart can go away based off of your belief that by cutting an onion and putting it under a rock on a full moon
2: that'll make your wart go away. Yeah, that's that's pretty out there, but I don't yeah, it's very out there. I don't right. I don't put it past the power of the brain to think that that uh, psychosomatically could be, you could be able to t- say, Hey, look, I'm doing everything in, that I need in, in my power to do what's right to heal myself or to get rid of this wart. Um, and then do it. You know, I, am a firm believer too. I'm, I'm probably that 1% that would take the placebo, uh, and it works for me. So right. I, I believe in that, you know? Uh, but I like all the hippie remedies too. You know, I like all the hippie, old hippie type remedies and, uh, Obviously, that one's pretty far out there, but you know the old "I got an earache, put a glove of garlic, uh, you know, a, globe, a clove of garlic, in yeah, in your ear with some uh, castor oil or something, you know, and then let that sit overnight." Um, you know, that to me is actually doing something, even though it might not be scientifically proven. Or yeah. whatever. it's more homeopathic remedy. Yeah, so that you know, I, I'm I'm all down for that type of stuff.
0: Well, I think that we we look at the placebo as um, we look at the placebo incorrectly, like it's something that we say, like, okay, well, that worked, but it was just placebo.
2: It still worked, like the, right. But your mind can is, and it's is, because of
0: your mind. Yeah, your mind is over, and it's way higher than one percent that the placebo works. There are cases of of patients going in for surgery. The doctors will cut them open, make mm-hmm. an incision. Make it look like. Do nothing. Make it look like the surgery happened, and yeah. then the patient will heal themselves. Interesting. It's super fascinating. Yeah. And just because we don't understand it yet, we tend to disregard it.
2: Totally. Well, it just isn't black and white. One plus one is two. It doesn't. You don't just look at it and it happens. Exactly. So, yeah.
0: Did you, uh, from a young age, surfing, recognize the power of your mind? Has that always been a... Um, Like just being a
2: cerebral, you know. A consistent theme in your mind, yeah, yeah. in in your life? Well, yeah, I was always thinking, you know, I always had a plan. I would always go out there with a plan, you know, um, if that's the question. What's an example of that? Um, I was always going out to want to improve, you know, so there was always a goal going out in the ocean. There still is a goal today of going out in the water. Um, Obviously, I enjoy it a lot more than I ever have because I'm not, say, competing so much, but... There's things I'm learning every day. There's things that I incorporate into my surfs that I want to see if I can change or alter the way I'm doing things. Um, so I'm constantly learning, and I'm also watching and learning. I'm a visual learner. I'm not, too, I'm not good at um, the audio learning, you know, where you read something. I don't read very well and then compute it. So I like to watch something, go, yep, that's what I want to do, and then I'll try to incorporate that into what I'm doing. But, like, for an example, uh, when I was really young, I... I, um, I had a multi motion get up. So, I, uh, when I would stand up on my board, it'd be one motion and two motion. It wasn't the seamless motion, right? And my friend Matt Lansing was a phenomenal surfer at a young age, and he had this perfect one motion get up. Um, and so, I watched that and watched that and watched that and watched that. And I'm like, uh, then I started practicing at home on my bed with my surfboard popping up in that one motion, um, and then parlayed that into the water. So that, you know, that's an example of what, say, on a simple, simple. Tone. And would
0: you picture, so you would stand up on your board yep. on your bed? On oh, my bed. And, oh, yeah. and you would see
2: exactly what he would be doing? Yeah, I would see it in my brain and then I would emulate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was a full monkey see, monkey do surfer. I was always trying to either copy somebody, watch something of somebody and go, yep, that's what I like. I never felt as if I was dancing on my own. Right. Yeah, it was never like, Woo, I'm freestyling. No way. I was like, Oh no. Shane Haran, Tom Curran. It was for us it was Sean, Shane, Michael and Dane and the guys that were in the magazines that we watched. So I was I was always watching those top five guys. Um and was inspired by them. What did you learn from Curran? Oh, about his flow. Just how to be able to you know, sometimes less was more. It was everything in between the maneuver. It was um no extra anything. And his timing, his positioning, his entry into the waves are perfect. You know, his—he's got cat-like grace. He seems to be on the best waves all the time. Um, he's very passive in the water. When there's pe- when there's way a lot of waves coming and there's a lot of people out, you'll see Tom make very few dabs at waves. And then he finally takes a dab at one and it's a perfect gnarly one, probably the best wave you've seen in a couple of years. Hmm. So uh, I liked learning. He's—he was—he was, he was uh, uh, obviously. More comprehensible, uh, you know, more understandable than uh, Kelly Slater. His surfing to me was more realistic, and so coming out of the '80s, I was watching him as as a person to emulate. What was uh, uncomprehendable about Slater surfing? Uh, First, starters just the equipment and where he's putting himself in the wave, and the, the, his ability to recover from certain things that a lot of people can't recover from. His f- freakish cat-like ability. Yeah, he's got um, just physically. He's gifted, you know, if you look at him, his arms go down past his knees, His he can invert his whole body. He's completely ambidextrous. He's like pretty good specimen for a surfer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you like catching a lot of waves.
2: I love catching tons
0: of waves. And you like catching a lot of little waves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. People have actually called them atom waves. Oh, yeah. Like, cool. <laughs> they're little atom waves, little sneaker <laughs> waves that come yeah. right through. Yeah, that's fun.
2: Where would uh, that come from? Mm. came from wanting to stand up on waves more instead of watching people surf more, you know? Um same reason why I like to go wake surfing or, or snowboarding or something. You know, you're, you're on or you're, you're toe surfing. You know, you're up and riding all the time. You're surfing. Yeah. I mean, that's what I like to do. Um, you know, I watched Ryan Augenstein. He has the same problem. Yep. Uh, sea bass has got a terrible problem with it, too. You know, he's like, you just froth. You see a little wave and you're just going. Go. <laughs> you're just going. Exactly. You're going and going and going and going. Uh, to me, that really does help me lower my expectations when I start my surf. I try to catch crappy, shitty waves at the start of my surf to get my confidence up, get myself rolling. Uh, don't, don't put so much pressure on myself to go out there and start ripping right away on set waves. Just go out there and get my rhythm, get flowing, and then bleed into the surf as I can naturally with some confidence.
0: So you'll stand up on a wave, on one of your earlier uh, first waves, and just ride the wave. Just, just oh God, feel... my body
2: aches like hell. I right. am just pop, crack, pop, pop. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Just letting my... I don't stretch too much. Um, my first waves are like my stretches. So I'm actually just getting my body moving, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And ironically, I wake up every morning, and take a hot bath, right? Big, ant- big inflammatory bath. First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, every morning. Wow. Hot bath. <laughs> um, and uh, my, uh, the doctor that I was seeing for a little while, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. You know, it's like, and then I went to another cat that was checking me out. He's like, hey, if it feels good, do it. You know, So that's basically... Yeah, there are worse al- things. Yeah, along the lines of what you're saying about the brain. you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was feeling this is doing myself. It does. It feels good, especially in Santa Cruz. Going into a hot bathtub in the morning or a hot tub,
0: the crack mm, of dawn.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice feeling. Your I, body,
0: do, I do cold plunges, though, in the morning, so I'm on the opposite. Are you? So yeah. Cold plunge? <laughs> but, but the interesting thing about cold plunges is, is that you do it mm-hmm.
2: and then... You feel like fucking Wolverine when you get out. Yeah, yeah. You yeah you, I hear you. I did the cryotherapy a couple of times. That was shocking. Um, but then I get
0: cold. Like this course. this little house that we're in right now has thin walls. So yeah. it's freezing in the morning. Like I wear a puffy jacket and I can yeah. see my breath when I make eggs. So I'll do i uh, <laughs> I'll do yeah. a cold plunge.
2: I'll come back and then I won't warm well, up until 1 PM. Yeah. You're cold to the bone. I'm cold to the bone. Cold exactly. To the bone. Yeah. But I, yeah, the cold plunge is something else. I mean, that, I went to um, this place, Refuge.
0: Yeah, they're here. great.
2: Yeah, down, down in Carmel. In Carmel um, with this gal, Maya. And we had a a series of pools to go to. And sure enough, one was a cold plunge and one was a really cold plunge, right? And I was like, okay, here we go. I'll give it a try. But it was shocking. Oh, yeah. It was very shocking. Uh, almost put me into like a, a heart-stopping feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did feel uh, rejuvenated. After, or well, I think it was just relaxing as a total at the refuge. But yeah, something about the cold plunge. They had one here years ago at this. I don't know if they still have one at spa. At the Oh spa yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I go there. Yeah, Marcel's mom used to just kick it in that thing. Marcel His mom would lay just hang out in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Well, it, it helps a lot with inflammatory, of it, course. It, um. Yeah. So one thing that um, that you seem to have focused on in your surfing from a young age are the fundamentals yeah. and. I think a big mistake that a lot of people make growing up surfing myself included is uh you try like I would try and rip too hard at a young age and I would like I remember being like 13 14 years old like trying airs oh yeah and I'd like be trying all these tricks and I had no flow and no style and no fundamentals and I would do three bottom turns going up to the top of the wave and I've I think that my surfing has really suffered as a result of not focusing on the fundamentals early on. And now I'm, like, going back to chapter one now. Well, I'm, like, trying to ride single fins and focus on just doing a correct bottom turn. At least you're identifying that. Right,
2: exactly. First
0: thing to solving a
2: problem is knowing you have a problem. Yeah. Or And you want to improve, right? obviously, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it would, that's... I, that's one of the reasons we go surfing is to get better at it. Yeah. I,
2: you know, I, I trip on people who don't though, who just will really just go surf just to go surf, you know, like, uh, I would, I remember going to play golf just to play golf. Right. Right. Just to play golf. And then I sort of got into it a little bit and I was like, phew, writing down every mark and every stroke, you know? And then I was like, that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was not fun at all. Keeping right. score score that. You know, I'd rather not keep score and go have fun. You know, I liked what Mason Ho said, something about losing in a heat. He said, he doesn't lose in a heat. The time just runs out.
0: I love that. Yeah.
2: That's one of the better, you know, deals like that. That's it. You know, you just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm competing majority of the time it's with myself, you know, and trying to get to do my, to challenge myself, to do something that maybe I haven't done before or, or in a certain situation that I holding my ground in, you know, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, in, in larger surf, it's really challenging to sit there and wait, sit there and wait, sit there and wait. And then as the wave, instead of rolling in from the outside in, you're surfing from the inside out, you know, surfing right on the ledge of a wave of a big wave. And it's really, really easy to jump the gun and, and paddle out too far, really common. And, uh, There's a fine line between someone – well, the difference to me was like Flea at Mavericks. He would always sit underneath the ledge and just point it. He would always sit there. He'd turn around at the last minute and whip it. Um, There were some other guys in the lineup that would ride maybe a board that was a foot longer. They would surf outside the ledge, paddle over the ledge, get that board speed up, and then go over. Um, which once at a certain point, you're not going to be able to be that maneuverable with, with that approach, that outside in approach with that big of a board. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, even now if it's six foot, you know, say even sewer peak, I want to sit there, you know, I want, I want to challenge myself to put myself in the most critical position to get the best drop I can get to start this wave off. Right. Um, I don't want to take the easiest approach into this wave. So. Um
0: I feel like that's an like it's also big wave surfing that's a defining factor of the guys that are really good is that they hold the line when a big set comes. Yeah. So a lot of guys surf mavericks, and then when someone sees a set, everyone flees yep there's that kind of like, uh, herd mentality where one person starts scratching yeah. and then everyone starts scratching. And then the guys who actually hold the line, like I think one of the better guys that does that now is, uh, Jamie Mitchell. Like you'll see everyone else paddling out the back when a big set wave comes and he's just sitting there. He's, he's confident just where he's there. positioned.
2: He knows, he knows exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. And then he whips it and then everyone tries to whip it out the back and they all miss it. Yeah. And he's the one who gets the best wave of the day.
2: Yeah. And it looks like he's on the inside. Exactly. Yeah. Go figure.
0: So who taught you? that? Was that a, a, current, a current thing? Or? No, that was
2: Richard Schmidt. You know, Richard Schmidt was really into, um, you know, triangulating out in the lineup, knowing exactly where you were right. in relation to where the bowl was, where the wave's going to come. Did he teach you that or was that Oh, yeah, he taught us that. So what did that... Do you, do you remember those conversations? Of course. Well, they, were, they weren't like sit-down school classroom style stuff, but we would be surfing sunset, for an example. Say we had a contest at sunset. Um, he would have us... Knowing exactly what swell, what swell direction was coming, what swell we were surfing, where to line up, what tower, what tree, and triangulate these two or three little points to you know exactly where we were in the lineup, and that way, when when because sunset looks like a shitstorm when a set comes, you are like, where are this wave kind of break? I have no waves or dusting from left to right, right to left, but if you know where you are in the lineup, you can feel pretty confident. That all that stuff will make some sense by the time it comes to you. And uh, and that we have to have faith in your lineup. And so it sounds like Jamie has quite a bit of faith in where he's sitting at Mavericks, you know, he knows where he is in relation to everybody else. Well, he's someone
0: also who is really working to become a better surfer.
2: Yeah. Oh of course.
0: He came into the game very late. Very late. late. Yeah, I very mean, late. And he's he's excelling rapidly. Yeah. Uh, because he's he, he's working it out like a problem. He's trying to solve the problem. And he, I think he thinks about it. Um, Majority of the big wave
2: surfing is wave catching. Jamie doesn't seem to have too bad of a time paddling and catching waves. He's a monster paddler. Yeah. Um, what it seems like a lot of the guys that have that paddle background, it's getting off the bottom. You got to get off the bottom. That big board's going to get you into the wave. You're going to catch that wave, but you got to get off the bottom, you know? Like, I watched Garrett McNamara surf a 13, 12, 13-foot 13 board, could not get off the bottom. He could go straight and inflate. You know, he could pack a big wave. Um,
0: but, yeah, I think a lot of the guys from Maui are are very good at that. Like you totally. look at someone oh, I was like, going to say. Someone yeah. like Kai Lenny or Albie Lair, you see them drop into a wave, and the second they drop in, they're on their toes.
2: Oh, that Billy Kemper guy? Billy Kemper right away is knifing it, just rah, rah, knifing it. Um yeah, those guys are taking it to another level. Yeah. Kyle Eni, Shane Dorian, all those cats, or something else, you know. Well, um, I think
0: that that's also the ba- like, that's another defining factor. Like, guys that don't scratch outside when they see a big set and panic, and guys who are actually surfing the waves. Well, there's guys waves. that really
2: want to be there, and there's guys that are there, probably like the reason why I was there is because everyone else was there, hmm. you know, and then trying to push your limit in that sense where there's some guys thriving in that atmosphere where they're like frothing. Do you, you know, feel like you were never uh, thriving in that atmosphere? No, no way in hell. No way in hell. I remember paddling out to Waimea with Peter Mel as a kid and just going, this is wrong. This is not for me. Um, and then got a sort of a, um, a love affair with Sunset and felt like, all right, you know, I can, I can comprehend all this stuff that's going on and I, can, I can, can compute it and I can catch it and write it. Um, and that was inspiring. And then over a period of time, Maybe like, I don't know, a couple of years ago into the North Shore, 10 to 12 foot surf was, per, I felt pretty confident to be in. That was your magic, yeah, magic zone. Yeah, 10 to 12 foot, you know, like, you know, 10 to 12 feet, not 10 to 12 foot pipeline, no way, but 10 to 12 foot sunset. You know? Yeah. Um, for us, that was sort of the defining event on the on the QS. It Usually it was the last event of the year. Um, sunset's a pretty big event. And if you did well there, you did probably did pretty well for the end of the year. Uh, so I, I, I was really lucky that steamer lane was very similar to say sunset beach and the fact that it's got a big rolly peak waves move from right to left. Um, obviously there's no inside bowl at, at the lane. Um, but for all of us who have had a love affair with the lane going to sunset was, was sort of a, you know, just a, an evolution.
0: Right. Yeah. And, uh, how many years were you doing the QS? Were you?
2: Oh, your... I did the QS for so long, Kyle. Oh, I was, I was, I wasn't a veteran of the of the world tour. I was a veteran of the QS. Seriously, I did it probably for um, when they started it. You know, when they started the QS. So they used to have a domestic tour here called the Bud Tour, and that was a um, a national tour that got taken over by the WQS by the ASP. But
0: before it was the Bud Tour.
2: Before it was the Bud Tour. Then it got taken over by the uh, the yeah the world tour it was the bud tour then the ASP took it over and implemented our tour into the qualifying series which gave us the opportunity of a lifetime to have a good seed to surf the events um, in the states the states was where you had to be back then to qualify guys like Todd Prestige came over here um, and lived in America to compete to qualify here in America and that used to be possible because all the major events used to be in the states and uh, did, would you say that you thrived at Waves Like Sunset?
0: Was no, a, gosh, no.
2: No, no oh. that took years. I mean, I got, I, I, made the finals at Sunset, but I didn't by no means. That wasn't like my the event. Oh, whoa, watch out for that guy. <laughs> no. Um, no, I, I did well. I felt like um, in the events when everyone else hated what the event was looking like. You know, it was cold. It was raining. It was, you know, like I got to wear booties. It's raining. It's cold. Um, or it's too big. You know, a lot of times contests are too big and people are like, I don't like that. we we grew up here in big stormy surf. So we got, we sort of thrived in that. So I, I got motivation off watching other competitors get bummed on the conditions. Mm. So that was, that's how, um, someone is really small. I'm two feet tall. So when it's really small. I, I could have fun. I could do well in it. Uh, when it was bigger, I, I wasn't that scared so I could compete in it. Um, so i could give myself a chance in most conditions right yeah
0: and um, did you feel like there was a point when you got significantly better on the qs or were you always doing yeah. well from the
2: beginning oh, no i well, i think the days that uh, the, the first couple of days that i got john carper's surfboards was a uh, jcs yeah jcs um, was a real turning point in my surf in my ability in my surfing and the in the quality of surfing i was doing at the time how so i went from a pretty um I just went from local shapers here, local, you know, local shapers, Mark Goen, Bob Pearson, Steve Coletta, um, which were great, um, which were great surfboards. And, but to get me to that next level, I needed to be riding world-class surfboards. I needed to be riding surfboards that were also under the, my, the other pros, the other people that I was competing against. Um, and as you start to compete more, you realize that having a magic board is everything, and so for for a couple of the years there, I had a magic board or two. Like back then, Kyle, you could only, you'd only get one magic board, and you'd have that thing on ice for a year. You'd only pull it out during the events. You'd only use it during the certain times, and that be it. You know, your fins were fixed in, the decks were like soft. You know, it was a different time. You know, so boards would fall apart. You'd have to keep them on ice, and I got a couple of carpers, and I got some great results, and. Do you remember one in particular where you felt like, Ooh, okay, oh, yeah.
0: this is, this is, I'm going at a different speed here. I can do yeah. things I used to not be able to do.
2: I remember f- having some feelings of some control, um, under higher speeds that I had never felt before that I, um, that I realized I could lay my board over now going way faster in certain, on uh, more vertical phase, uh, without skipping out and, um, had just some crazy, crazy, um, uh, during that transition, I remember having some crazy turns where I was just going, gosh, you know, this is, you know, of course you see him on video and you're like, God, that looks like crap. But, you know, there was a time there where I got some really good board control and, um, I, and it was cause we were suffering so long with narrow equipment, narrow, narrow. There was really, really narrow. We were riding too narrow of equipment back in the mid eighties. In the eighties. Okay. Yeah. Like 88, 89, 90 boards were way too narrow and thin as well thin rockered out narrow Just, yeah the blades oh they were the worst uh, kelly's natural ability could ride them but very few other people could it, um, and what made those boards so shitty to ride at least for you um well for me i lumber on my front foot quite a bit and so when you have a bowing board that has continuous rocker throughout the whole board usually push water and so i would uh push water sometimes it, um you could turn everywhere, but you're not going anywhere. And you know, I could turn really turn really good, but I'm not, get, I'm not getting any down-the-line projection. Um, I didn't have the ability or the technique to get those boards to go really fast. And um, if you notice what Kelly was doing at the time, he's putting a ton of rocker in his boards, but then he was hollowing out with a bunch of concave. So the board's relatively flat under the, under the stringer line, but on the rail, it's got a ton of curve. So Kelly's boards really weren't that good until he was laying them over start to turn them. Then they were good. So when they're flat, they were, they were. So, uh, so, okay. So, and
0: what would those, so you say that he, he would put a ton of rocker and then also a ton of concave. Yeah. In. you to flatten that
2: board out. to So, me th- so break that down for me. What's that, what that does? Well, you, a board with rocker, it's going to turn. It's going to turn. Um, but it probably won't go anywhere. If you got too much rocker, it's, it's just a one, it's a banana going through the water. But if you hollow out the bottom of it and put a big concave in it, it flattens out the bottom of your board. And so you have a board that has a lot of rocker on the rail line, but down the stringer, it's really flat. And that... Um, so th- you know, so then you changed your boards. I changed my boards. I was like, hey, that... You got fat and flat. Yeah, I, went, uh, I just went from, uh, back to a tr- uh, traditional... Um, single to double concave uh with a little bit of a wider nose and that was it and that was it it made the huge difference
0: well you started getting feedback from people too say
2: and i think the results were better than the feedback usually back then there wasn't much um people weren't giving you too many compliments right yeah if somebody saw you on a shitty board you were like a wounded dog and they just snickered at you and just (laughs) <laughs> they, they would tell pounce you. on no they wouldn't tell you unless one of your mates you know i remember galley telling me like adam you got to get off that board that board sucks i'm like okay thanks bro fuck i thought i was ripping <laughs> 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 no because uh, it is it's uh humbling when somebody is telling you you're not surfing that good you know and what they're telling you is that board sucks they're not saying you don't surf good but that's what you interpret that as You know, and so it's hard to give somebody that type of constructive criticism. I've tried not to do it too very often. You know, I would do it in ways um, that I would let them know that it's the board, not them. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how long someone will let you go with food in your
2: teeth without telling you. Oh, yeah. Big booger right on your nose. Like, yeah, you got it. Mm -hmm.
0: You went out on that big
2: date last night. No one told you. Gosh. No, it's, it's easy to say, to look back and go, gosh, you know, I was a sheep riding what everybody else was riding. I needed to be, um, but I didn't have, I w- it was all new to me. You know, I started surfing in like 1980. And by the time I it, I had been surfing a couple of years, I was already competing, you know? I, so I wasn't, I didn't have a parent there grooming me from day one uh, and knowing exactly what I'm riding. And, you know, I'd get one board and I go, God, this board is good. And I get one, another board and I'm like, but I wasn't getting custom boards at the time, you know. I was getting used boards, friends' boards, hand-me-down boards. And what? Days. And what year did you make the world tour? In I qualified in 1997, and I did it in '98. Um, but it took me six years to get there, you know, six years of trying to qualify. I had a couple of years there where I was the odd man out, like two or three guys out, you know, like a heat away, a result away. <sighs> Bummer stuff. One time I was like, I was probably three or four guys out, and Galley told me to go, hey. Adam got to go to France. I'm okay. Why? He's like, "Well, people get injured. You're the you're the you'd be the next guy on the list. No one's going to go." I'm like, "Okay, and sure enough somebody got hurt. I remember. And I had a heat against Slater at Lackanow. It was a lot of fun." So Lackanow or Anglath something. But Kelly sw- he just smoked me. I was wearing booties out there, short sleeve full. He's in like trunks.
0: You <laughs> booties and short short yeah. sleeve full.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, so I could wear my booties. And I went right on two lefts. Potter called me a rookie. He's a rookie, mate. He came in. He's like, rookied me out. He's like, Adam, should have went left on those rights. I'm like, all right. Do you feel like you got a lot
0: of support from other people in Santa Cruz when you were really making a go for it? Or do you feel like it was more of a tall poppy syndrome?
2: Yeah, for sure. There wasn't much support.
0: I it, there, it seems like there, they're, I mean, for Nat, there is. Oh, well, he, absolutely. It's kind of like a different, a different, different time.
2: time too. right now, you know, um, it wasn't as popular back then, to be honest with you, you know, it wasn't like our, you know, how our whole town is behind Nat Young, Nat Young in it. Like, oh yeah, we're all behind it. We're all down for Nat Young. Fuck yeah. Uh, but when we were competing, it wasn't like, um, maybe when Galley was winning the QS, Galley won the QS one year, got second in the QS, the overall rankings one year. Um, so maybe when he was on a roll or when he got like second in G land or something we were freaking out Um, but there was never really a huge social push of support you know we pulled our you know funds together we scrapped very small sponsorship programs together with O'Neill's who was very supportive Um, but without the um, without the supplemental income you know, of doing an odd job or doing some stuff on the side. We couldn't have done what we did. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I And the community thing too, like San Francisco is a, a fascinating place because it is so tight knit. Yeah. Um, there's no one above and no one below, at least in the surf community. Right. Yeah. Like we can have friends who destroy their lives and will still be there for them. Oh, yeah. And we can have friends who... Go off to do amazing things, and we'll still be there for' them. Oh, but yeah. I think as a result that can sometimes flatten people's pursuits because they know that there will always be that community for them and it's something that makes me really proud to be from Santa Cruz it makes me I think it's a really beautiful aspect, but it can also um have uh have like an a, deleterious effects oh yeah,
2: well, as you know, living and being raised here some of the best surfers from around here don't leave here. They don't, they like it here. They're complacent. They like it. It's nice. They don't want to go. And the fear of failure, maybe putting themselves out there, not wanting to fail. Um, but if they, if we did have more community support, we would have big grom events. I mean, we're doing well, there's one step forward right now. They're doing that board riders, Santa Cruz board Riders association, um, which will help start to groom some of the kids into having a foundation of fun competitive surfing and then, and then go into say strict competitive surfing, you know? Um, tell me more about that. What's happened with that? Um, so this guy, Casey wheat in Huntington beach decided to start the board writers association, similar to what's going on in Australia for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, where each city or town will have a team that will be able to compete against other teams up and down the coast. In different regions and then come together like a Super Bowl. So that's what's going to happen. I think there's going to be a Southern California region or south from Santa Barbara South and Santa Barbara North, and then the winners will meet up. That's very cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, totally it's cool. just, it's so difficult to compete on
0: the world stage when your community doesn't have that kind of support. When other yeah. ones, like, I mean, you look
2: at a, a spot like Australia. Yeah, but you, we, you know what? Well, we got to back up really quick because look at us, look at Brazil. I mean, there's little kids coming out of the jungle with no money, no nothing. And for them to to get to the next event, they got to win a contest or they got to, they got to get the, for them to put chicken on the table for their parents, they got to do well in the contest. So they have an incredible, like a bigger desire or bigger
0: motivation. Yeah, um, It's like that saying, in boxing, the poorer the neighborhood, the better the fighter.
2: Totally. You know, like, um, I remember Casey Snyder as a kid, as a Twelve-year-old kid was a phenomenal surfer, probably one of the best, most talented surfers ever. I was like, "Oh my lord, this kid is out of control." Um, not if he would have got the support. He did have a little support, uh, but you also have to have it upstairs. You know, you also have to be smart enough, uh, intelligent enough to pull off traveling, to pull off competing, to pull off a lot of stuff. Um, but if we did have a program where we nurtured our youth and got them going and educated them on what they were needing to prepare for, so when they when they did get out into this competitive world, that they knew what was going on, uh, we we would be helping ourselves. Australia, they know exactly the blueprint of for, how to how to do it, of how to succeed, and and I mean they got down there, they got. I mean, Hurley's got a program down there right now where they're, they're literally doing out-of-water training, and they're getting incredible results, incredible results of aerial surfing, like literally teaching someone how to do an air in-house and then going out in the water and then doing it. Um, So, what are some of those lessons that um, you would have liked,
0: or that you would like to impart on a younger Santa Cruz kid? Because, like, you know, you're talking about someone like Casey. A lot of the best surfers from town that never make it out. A lot of them fall into drugs, homelessness. Like, it's a it's a fucking epidemic that we've both seen, and I think a lot of people have seen in their own communities of surfers, where a lot of the kids with the best potential at a certain point have idle hands or don't have right. the right mentors or blueprints for them on how to really make it to that next level and um end up destroying their lives and it's really sad to see.
2: Totally. I mean, we all hang ourselves if that's the case. I I I make my own decisions. I'm a firm believer that nobody um but if we so, so certain people are going to go left instead of right, certain people are going to make terrible mistakes, you know. Um you're not going to be able to stop that, but it would be nice to have an alternative place to go or something for them to do. Um, you know, and I, am shooting from the hip right now cause I don't know, but maybe a community center, an area in which, you know, that everyone got together at you know, a certain time of the day, um, a certain time of the morning to go over certain things and have a, have a plan sort of have a goal. Cause you said idle time for a teenager, or a young kid is just terrible, you know, and around here you could easily, um, be hanging out with the wrong guy before you know it, doing the wrong thing. Next thing you know, the goals you had are gone. Um, What do you, go for it. uh, No, but I think having this board writers program come in where you're actually held accountable and maybe if you don't, if you don't step it up, someone else is going to take your spot type of, you know, like you have to perform to be here. Um, And then maybe that might empower some of these young kids to um, really try to pursue something, you know, and I don't know what it's going to literally take for us to do here as a community to, to get together. Um, but but using that as an example, or Cole Sandman, like I see, or Willem Banks, you know. Yeah, saw, these are
0: all young kids in Santa yeah. Cruz growing up that are
2: yeah, ribbing, like, surf, surfing really well. Yeah, like I opened up the most recent um, Surfer's Journal and saw this article on Willem Banks, right? And I was like, Phew. years ago, we'd open up every mag. There'd be somebody in it from Santa Cruz, right? be I mean, oh, There's Barney, there's Flea, Pete's got an article, Richard Schmidt, what's going on? Um So it was such a breath of fresh air to open up the Surfer's Journal and to see this local Santa Cruz guy getting all this ink, you know. Um, So it does come in phases, you know. I I do think that certain kids at certain times could have done better than they did. And some kids have done better than I thought they would do, to be honest with you. I think Nat succeeded what I thought he was going to do, 100%.
0: And what do you think it was about him that uh, allowed him to exceed your expectations?
2: I didn't realize he was such a gamer. You know, he's such. He really is into it, hundred percent. He is into it, and he breaks it down. Um, you don't see he's a flatliner too. I've never really seen him get too high or too low. He wins. He's not raging. He loses. He's not beating himself up. Um. And I think he just has had great parental support yeah. through the whole program um, and realized it was a journey, not so much just these, uh, these results, right? He was developing his surfing is what Nat was doing over those years. He might have been winning contests doing this, doing that, but he was developing his surfing. And once he got to the, uh, the big leagues, his developed surfing, his basic off-the-bottom, off-the-top fundamentals were um, as good or if not better than anybody else on the tour at that time now if nat was still surfing like that right now he would still be in the top five top ten of the world no doubt about it um but you know just like say tiger woods sort of lost a swing you can lose your swing a little bit um i'm just i'm just hoping Nat, you know gets his swing back and gets that confidence back and uh because i still think nat's best years are ahead of him um yeah totally like like physically and where he is mentally um when i talk with him he, there's there's no difference right now talking to him now than when he was top five in the world yeah straight up there's and that, no difference
0: and, and we were talking about this at the beginning of the show like psychologically it's it is all about what you believe and i was i had a conversation with him the other night and he said he's like i well i know i can get back on tour and i know i can be back at the top because i've done it before right like, fuck yeah, dude. That's what you need to be thinking. That's amazing.
2: Totally. And he knows he belongs there. Yes. That's it. You belong there. Um, and there isn't too many people, and we're talking about Nat, that have a, um, say, a senior hiccup. Usually it's a sophomore hiccup where you're, your second year on tour. Like Nat had a phenomenal first year, rookie year, phenomenal first year. Um, And it's hard to have an encore after that, you know, it's really hard, but he did, he did. And then just even like up until a year before last, like, oh, he had a bad year. What was he like? 14th in the world. Bad year. I mean, so we expect a lot out of him, you know, and he's got, he's got it. Um, I just really do, you know, hope here in the near future that he kicks some ass on that QS and gets back and rolling and gives gives him gives I really I really want to turn on the WC the world tour and watch Nat Young. Like I look forward to that. Like when's Nat's he coming? I got a bunch of boys that, my buddy Alistair's like, Nat's up in five minutes. Okay, we're dropping everything. Let's watch Nat. Yeah. Um yeah, for sure. Like everyone we're all focused in. I mean I guarantee you Richard Schmidt, Vince Collier, all these guys, we want Nat to succeed, you know, heavily. So
0: So do you like looking back at your generation coming up one thing that I've always respected about you is that you have made a concerted effort to pull up the younger generation. I remember mm-hmm. being a grom, and like you, would be giving me tips, me like, oh, Tierman, like, nice, that was a good turn. Hey, you should work on being getting a little bit lower. And then there were a bunch of other kids as well who you would go, uh, you know, you take them to go shoot with Nelly, who's oh, a, yeah. a good photographer in town. You you kind of bring them up in yeah. in a town when I think not everyone does that. Like I, there's, uh, there's only so much pie. And I think every, a lot of people live in kind of a, um, a scarcity mindset where like if some kids coming up, they're going to get it and that there's not going to be enough for me. And I've well, always that's inevitable anyway. Right. That's inevitable. It is. But you've, you've accepted that or, or that hasn't, uh, let you
2: not be supportive. Of that was done with up. me. It was, it was on this street that was done with me. Um, bring me, bring me into that world. Mark Goen, Mark Machado, Mark Tinkus, you know, the guys like Mark Tinkus, um, he ran O'Neill's for years and years, lived on the street, 36th Avenue down at the end of the street here. Um, but he was a full mentor, full on mentor. Mark Machado was a great surfer, pro surfer at the time, lived on the street here, um, would take me around, take me surfing with, you know, I was a 12 year old kid in hog heaven with Mark Machado going around, you know, um, so I, I did have people that were helping me out. There's a guy named Dave McIntyre, too, who was running our district association, District 2, um, who spent thousands of dollars on me, taking me around. Thousands. I had no money. My mom would give me a $5 check on a Friday to go to San Diego. I'd hop in the car with Dave McIntyre. He'd feed me the whole time, take me to the event, pay for the gas, drive me home. And I probably pantsed him twice on the trip. <laughs> you know, I was a total bastard to the guy. But Dave McIntyre, like, I had people doing it. For helping me, um, picking me up, taking me to the contest. So I feel that's just the natural way that it flows. That's what you do. You help the kids. I like that, man. Yeah, well, it's no, it's no big major deal, but it, it does. I do trip out when I see some of the older people. Well, not older, but sort of the, my generation stifling the youth. Um, it is pretty common here to haze people. Uh, it's really common to haze people. Usually it's age before beauty around here. So if the guy's older than you, he's going. Uh, the most aggressive kids are going to push up on the lineup and you're going to have to, there's going to be some checks and balances there. Um, but we always were able to, well, Chris Gallagher did it to me too. You know, he took me all around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he helped me with my board design. Gallied like this, 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 or...
0: Yeah, hazing in Santa Cruz is uh like I don't think it's unique to just this community, but it definitely is pronounced in this community.
2: It's gross. It's really gross, but
0: I I'm remember glad I'm <laughs> glad I don't I don't
2: have to be the asshole. I'm right. really glad I don't have to be the asshole. I uh, fortunately for me, some of my best friends were these guys that are doing the worst hazing, right? Right. And but I would benefit from that. I'd sit right next to them. You know, they're not hazing me or even if they were, I know it was in, in light, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't mean if you have a sort of a thin psyche or, a, uh, it could crush you. You know, if someone's yelling and screaming at you. I was surfing, uh, the, uh, the West side a couple of days ago, a friend of mine shows up. I'm not there yet, but I, I'm talking to another friend. He's telling me this story. Two of our, two of our buddies, kids are going out surfing at a localized little spot and a man in his forties, mid forties, starts paying out on these kids these kids are 12 years old you know 13 years old young kids this is a 40 year old man um telling them to beat it hasn't put they haven't put their time in yet you know and and laying laying some verbiage down not anything physical nothing physical you know there's no ever no rock throwing there's ever no punching um and after talking to the guy who is who was doing the hazing he said oh, i was just words you know just words and i and i get that uh, but a weak psyche, that might crush him. He might just ruin that whole kid's, like, he might never want to come surf again over here. Maybe that was the ob- no, Maybe that's is, the, objective. the objective there.
0: Well, yeah, but I think that, like, so growing up, um, I mean, it was definitely gnarlier in your generation than it was for my generation. It's, it's all relative, less, It's all relative, but, I mean, I remember getting hogtied and fucking, <laughs> I remember getting hogtied with duct tape, getting thrown into a... Uh, a little blow-up dinghy on a flat day at 26 and pushed out into the kelp beds on the flat day. <sighs> Just like left yeah. out there for a half oh, yeah. hour. And, and at the time, it's this like, well, it builds mental fortitude. It's good for the kids. They won't have respect if they don't get hazed. But I think that there's also negative effects, which is that it doesn't allow kids to become their own people. Like, say, you know, like if you're not wearing the right wetsuit, if you're yeah. not on the right branded board, if you're not saying the right things, then you'll get called a faggot and, you know, kids shrink. Yeah. And I think that as a result, they don't, th- there can be negative effects because they don't self-actualize into the people who they can really be. Yeah, the individual
2: doesn't really come out because they've been... Because they're, they're, they're scared. They're scared. They're scared. To get heckled, yeah.
0: But, like, that's something that you've... You've recognized, and, like, you could have
2: very easily just been another, like, you could have been an asshole. Oh, I could have been another grump for sure, but I'm two feet tall. I probably wouldn't have been able to box too well. Right. The, for sure, I could have easily. All because, yeah, I could have easily just went to the um, spiteful side for sure. Um, and a couple of our really close friends did, and uh, it just ruined it for him, completely ruined surfing for him. I mean, every time if you're going out yelling at people and you're upset and you're pissed off because it's changing and there's more people and it's like, you're losing battle for sure.
0: So what, was there ever a point in your life where you decided, all right, I don't want to do, I don't want to be this because you, you live a very, um, grateful life. Everything from picking up pennies to get good luck to feeding homeless people around town. Well, you might
2: want to ask my ex-wife that. She might have a different story. But.
0: but I mean, that's what I see. I see that in you.
2: You know, well, like I see, I see you making a conscious effort to. Aren't we all, we're constantly trying to balance out good and bad in us. Yeah. You know, I am good and evil. Mm hmm. So when, sometimes when I do feel like shit, I do something really good. Or at least I know I, I just got to go do that, you know, or, um, cause I have some checks and balances inside of me. That. So, I'll, like, what do you, what will you go do? Um. Well, I, I, you know, I don't want to expose too much stuff that I just do because it's I'm not here to get patted on the back for it. But
0: well, I saw. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I do pat I'll... you on the back for it. Like you, well, I, I saw Kyle Boothman's uh, little doc that he made about you. His yeah, brain yeah. works on you. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, and and one of the um uh, story beats in it was that uh, you go to Burger King and yeah. you'll go get forty burgers. And pass them around to homeless people. Yeah, in town. Yeah, yeah.
2: Sure. That's something not many people do. No, but if you had a homeless brother, you probably would. Well, uh, I got a couple of homeless brothers, I only have one now. One passed away just recently, but I have. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, I have. You know, I have homelessness and drug addicts in my family. Uh huh. I've actually watched a lot of documentaries on it, trying to figure out what. to do do about it, you know, instead of just complain about it. Like, well, how do we resolve this? What do we need to do as a community? It's a community problem. It's in our community. It's our problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. It's in our backyard. Um, it's down the street for me. It's in my front yard. It's in my trash can. It's in my backyard. It might be rifling through my truck every now and then. So it's in the community. It's something we have to do about, we need to do something about it. Um, there's, you know, maybe three or four different types of homeless people. There's people who want to be there. People who don't want to be there. Um, there's people who, you know, for whatever reasons, they're stuck in a in an apartment or in a in a hotel, and they're homeless. They go to work every day. Um, to me, the, that seems to be the group to help right there. The ones that are still in transition that haven't completely given up yet and let themselves go or let their thoughts go and just go, you know what? Fuck it. I'm living on the street, and I'm gonna fucking terrorize this community um the people that are still trying to make an effort and go to work um and and support a family that are homeless on just terrible bad luck lost a job husband left him, whatever those are the people I really think they should prioritize and try to help um and then obviously then trickle down to you know helping as much as you can that should be the ultimate goal you know to, to help as many people as you can Um,
0: my mom, uh, ran a homeless teen center Mm -hmm. called above the line through the nineties.
2: Um,
0: so when I was a kid, she, uh, she realized that there was no place for homeless teens in Santa Cruz to go. Um, and she raised a bunch of money and she, uh, started this place called above the line and it's still out, um, I think it's out in, uh, Coralitas Mm -hmm. and they will take homeless teens in and spread all around the country. But so she got, so she got, had a chance to, um, talk with a lot of the home, a lot of homeless people. Um, and she said that one thing that always stuck with her was that, um, she said homeless, homeless kids would tell her, you know, the strangest thing about being homeless is people don't look you in the eye. You can go days without one person making eye contact with you. That's sad. So it makes you feel like you don't exist. It makes you feel like the decisions that you make don't matter because
2: yeah, what, you're, you're not a real person. What if you never, what if you didn't hear somebody say your name for a month? Even address you. Like, hey Kyle. Nothing. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just, it's for the, for being the richest, uh, most successful, biggest world power. We have some fundamental problems when it comes to that, um, there's obviously choices, a lot of choices that were made for people to get into these positions, but um, you know, just I don't even want to start.
0: Yeah, and I don't, and I don't mean to to minimize the issue by saying like, "Oh yeah, like we should we should not be taking strategic action to try and solve homelessness," but I think that if you, you know, look in people in the eye, like my mom always told me from a young age, she's like, "Hey, if a homeless homeless guy asks you for money, you don't need to give them money, but you look him in the eye and say, no, I'm sorry, but hey, sorry you're having such a such a rough time. Yeah. But just looking looking them in the eye is what makes all the difference. And I think that um obviously it's frustrating. Like I've had shit stolen from me in town from homeless people. You know, I've you know, been downtown when, with my nephews and I see someone tweaked out on meth. I'm mm-hmm. like fucking pissed off and annoyed. And being mean to those people isn't gonna solve the problem strategic action is going to solve the problem. And as you're, as you do, um, like have an empathy, I think too, you know, recognizing that there are a lot of people who, who do want to be helped.
2: Totally. Um, and you'll get heckled. I was heckled too. I've been heckled before. I've, um, you know, that wasn't the first time I handed out burgers with Kyle, but I was, I handed out, I've handed out burgers. I do, uh, beanies and burgers too, where it gets really cold. I get beanies from my mom who gets them from the dollar store. We put bean uh, burgers in, um, I forget where I was going with this, but, um, what, what would you just, just, what you just mentioned right before? I was
0: was just, I was just saying that I think that it, um, it's important to look people in the eye, no matter who they are as homeless people. And, and then it does take strategic action because to your point, there are a few different types of homeless people. There are people who, um, maybe had some fucked up shit happen in their life they had yeah. medical bills they they lost their home and now they're on the streets there are people who made a bunch of bad decisions now they're drug addicts there are people who are um uh, lazy and they just totally. or there are people who um just couldn't figure it out or couldn't get the life skills to get it together um and i do think that it's a it's a i don't know the solution to it and I've, mental health is clearly a huge issue. Huge, of, because
2: you it's can't... Substance, substance abuse and mental health, you know. Um, but there's got to be a structure there where you don't just go, okay, look, we're gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna feed them. That's right. not gonna help. Uh, that'll be one aspect of it, you know. Obviously, um, when my kids are there at their worst, Kyle, they're hungry and they're tired. Okay, imagine the people that are living on the street. How hungry? How fucking tired are they? They're at their fucking worst. They are at their worst. And what I was gonna get at is that people have heckled me in years past for giving out these burgers because they're saying I'm, I'm enabling these people, right? And I got, um, I started to think about it a lot. I'm like, enabling, enabling, what's that, okay? And then I really thought about it, I'm like, enabling is what their parents did up until they got to this point. These people are now just surviving. These are zombie survivors on the streets. These aren't people that have been enabled. They don't get high when they do drugs anymore. They get normal. They don't get blo- loaded. They, they, they don't get sick. You know, it's a, um, My brother was on his deathbed, and uh, I asked him if I honestly, literally, on his deathbed, Kyle, I asked him if I brought a beer in here, what would he do? And he said he'd chug it. You know, um, so I know that the um, the addiction runs deep in a lot of these people. You know, the uh, the mental illness runs really deep. My brother, I'm not, um, I didn't never, we've never had him prior to passing away. He was never diagnosed with bipolar or manic or, um, schizophrenia or anything like that. But what he was doing was self-medicating himself, um, with the street drugs and, you know, had he been given the opportunity to get diagnosed, you know, just what if maybe he wouldn't have taken those choices. You know, he's a sweet man. He was a really sweet man. And, um, he just got caught up in drugs and it seemed to be the culture he liked. My brother liked to be on the streets. He liked to be homeless. There's some people out there that do not want to be helped. There's some people out there that do not rip off people that do not terrorize the community that are homeless. They just want to be left alone. They don't want to be hassled. They don't want any social services. They don't want any help. They'll do what they got to do. Um, and that was sort of my brother, except he was doing some petty theft. You know, he's robbing Safeway to get a sandwich and shit. Um, but I notice all these people, Kyle. I don't just drive by and turn a blind eye to them. I actually look at them and try to see maybe if I know them or, um, you know, being born and raised here, you see these people every day and you probably know quite a few of them too.
0: Yeah, so when you're when you're driving by someone, like what's the conversation that's happening inside your head?
2: Um, I'm constantly wondering what and thinking of what, their life is like and trying to put myself in their shoe for a second like god you know um it's sort of like going to alcoholics anonymous when you're barely an alcoholic you know like you see people way more fucked up than you i don't see myself any different than these guys um at a certain point i felt like i was going to lose my job and uh i probably had 3 or 4 months of mortgage in the bank that's it and then i'm done you know i would have to either sell my house or look for an alternative, you know, maybe sublease my house or rent my house out. Um, but hey, I lose my job. I'm, I'm staring at homelessness. You know, obviously I have family. I have support here. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. It would just lose their job, lose their house. You know, it's like, I think we're all not, we're, we're sort of all walking a, a, a tight rope on, on being able to live in this area. I don't know many people who live on this side of the on this side of the hill that have a a well enough paying job for them to support a family, have a house, a mortgage, pay their taxes. Um, You know, you know. I don't, I don't know many people. There, a lot of them have to go to work over the hill, you know, to have that type of income to support this lifestyle. So I, I would assume the pressure for a lot of these people is just absurd. You know, say the homeless people just to even get up now to. you know, like get above, get above the line. Yeah. Yeah, Get
0: above the line, get back into a house. Yeah.
2: Again, you know, like, um, yeah,
0: well we have, we live in a world where if you do not have, uh, economic, um, productivity, you don't matter. Right. Yeah. Like that's, it's, it's the, the, we want our
2: taxes and those guys aren't doing anything. So we can't tax them. You know that, right? Right. It's all about taxes. I'm here to get taxed. Uh, my brother who is my other brother who who was breaking the law for a little bit there, we ended up talking to the attorney. Only thing that the attorney said that the the system wants is the taxes. If you would have just paid your taxes, you would have been fine, um, you know. So, I know the system is here, the the social services are here. The taxes have been put into the da, 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 da. but for one, you got to want to get involved in the system. For two, you got to want to like you talk you you talk to the homeless people. They say the homeless shelter is a nightmare, a complete and utter nightmare from drugs and fighting and just whatever a nightmare. Um, I'm not, you know, it's probably a step up from jail. Um, still have some freedom, but it's, I hear it's just a total nightmare. I'm not saying that these homeless people should be in, in the, you know, the dream Inn or anything, but I do feel that there should be a certain, um, at least a certain style of life or lifestyle that we should be able to provide. Um, that's just the humane, type of lifestyle. That's it. Yeah.
0: You know, and, and, uh, well, we live in the richest country that has ever existed in the world. And when you look at, like, if you looked at our country as, uh, an organism, right. Or like, as it uh, looks at our country as a person, you'd say that, all right, that looks like this person has, um, pancreatic cancer, right. And that's like a lot of people on the streets, massive drug epidemic, mm-hmm. epidemic. We're in the largest opiate epidemic um, of our country's history right now alright that's that's pancreatic cancer but let's focus on our biceps right now like you know cause yeah. the, the individual uh, we value individual gain over common good many times And I think that largely, too, that that's a result of uh, social media. Like we don't necessarily feel like we are in our community, the community of Santa Cruz anymore. We feel like we are in our community that we've developed around social media. And there's a lot of beautiful. There's a lot of beauty to that. We have access to ideas and information that we would never have previously. But as a result, we can become fractured uh, Mm -hmm. and we can uh, lose empathy for the people who are right in our, in our block. So, I mean, clearly we don't have the, the solutions to this issue, but I think that it's important to talk about and it's a lot easier to turn a blind eye to it. But just because you're turning a blind eye to it doesn't mean that it's not happening.
2: Oh, it, it's it, happening. It's happening. Yeah. So we'll hopefully in the future, uh, you know, they, they, we, it's our community. It's our problem. Uh, ho- hopefully, in the community, uh, in the future, we we come up with some s- some solutions to help the problem. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um. Well, thanks for talking about, it, man. No I, I know. Yeah, that's know, sort of know, a weird. Know, one with My brother. I know. And stuff. I, know I know it is. I know yeah. it's super personal, but I appreciate yeah. it because I think. That and I got another
2: brother right now who's homeless in the city, <laughs> streets of San Francisco, homeless up there. Um. Now he's got a um, he's got a drug problem. Yeah. You know, and,
0: well, you know, the history of homelessness in San Francisco and, and Santa Cruz during the Reagan administration. So he, so Reagan pulled out all the funding, he of the pulled network. out all the funding in the mental, mental health, health. Cent- centers and gave the patients one way tickets to Santa Cruz and San Francisco. And then we had this huge influx of, um, mentally ill people who then were on the streets.
2: It's yeah. really f- yeah. I didn't know fascinating. A yeah, fascinating
0: I, history. I thought but, Santa
2: Cruz was just such a liberal um, community that, on top of being in a, in a place that wasn't so cold, that uh, them being tolerant, it's halfway. That halfway is part more. of it too. I mean, uh, that's the other
0: side of the argument, right? Is that like by having empathy and tolerance for these people, we enable it. Which I mean, there's an argument for that too, but. Being a surfer,
2: we could be, surfers as a whole, could be the closest group of people, I think, that would be okay being homeless. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, you give me a surfboard and a wetsuit, I'm pretty good, you know? Like, honestly, I've I've slept on a couch like this for years in my friend's house, you know, Uh, and didn't think anything about it. I had friends sleeping on my couch, didn't think anything about it, you know? They were homeless. They were homeless, straight up homeless. Um, it was okay. It was totally okay. Someone had a car. It was like the root, you know, definition of communism. I had a house. Munster had a car. Loya had some weed, and we were cool. We got what we need, and we're going surfing. You know, everyone everyone had a piece of what we wanted needed, and we we were all kind of collectively come together with our portions, our rations, and. Go. Yeah,
0: you said you stayed stoked on surfing for your whole life, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Fucking great. (laughs) It's hard to do. I mean, it's you've like you've made it through a fire that most people don't. There's a certain point when when a lot of people will become crotchety or they'll stop doing it. Yeah. Do you think that that's like what do you think that that is a result of? Maybe a combination of
2: things. But yeah. Well, I know when uh, at the end of competitive surfing, some people do quit they they quit, you know, like they um like hey, this is not my job anymore. I'm not going to do this. You know, I sort of beat the fun out of it. Um I tried to kill that tiger in me before I um before it ruined me. You know, I wanted to still really enjoy surfing. I started surfing uh, early on when when I was really young just to uh to get out of my house and get out of my my f- my family life. I realized that it was a great um getaway for me mentally. And uh, that was the biggest attraction to me it was just like I was in outer space surfing that's what I do I just woo time goes by so fast like four hours went by I won't gone um, but I I really had to kill the competitive tiger in me so when I stopped competing I could still enjoy surfing I could still really enjoy it without still needing the um, the ego based uh, stoke of a of the win of a competition to keep me motivated, you know what? Um, if there isn't any waves, I'm not thinking about surfing. If there's waves, I'm all down for it. Um, I gotten to that point at least, you know, like for years I could not, even if it was flat, I'd still be on the search. I'd still be psyching to surf. When I had three hours to surf. I'd go find something to ride. I'd ride it. Uh, it might not be good, but I'd ride it. Um, but I think hanging around those kids, Kyle has allowed and helped me to maintain a lot of that stoke, that natural youthful stoke, um that's why you hang around those kids, for that to rub off on you, you know. That's why you do it. Um you know, this is bizarre and I don't know why I just thought about this, but when I was younger, I was I was twelve years old surfing for town and country. And um nothing even parlayed me into this conversation, Kyle. This is sort of weird. I was uh molested as a twelve year old by a team captain of a surf team. Whoa. And, um, it was gnarly. It was gnarly at the time. It was really gnarly. Um, you know, um, cops involved and courts and all kinds of shit. And at the time it wasn't uncommon to see a lot of older people like myself now hanging out with 12 year olds. Right. That's what we're talking about. Um, I'm always wary if a mom just lets me take their kid without me talking to the parents, right? And I'm like, hey, talking to your mom, going surf, we're going surfing, yada yada yada. Um, I fear, I fear that the way that surfing is structured with adults and kids, that it is a uh, a setting to have gnarly gnarly abuse on kids. And, you know, it's like I said, you go out in the water on any given day. There's a kid that doesn't go to school who's 12 years old. He's out there with 50 year olds sitting right next to him talking to 45 year old guys. Um, so I am so cautious when I'm with these kids, you know, I'm really cautious. I'm like, you know, um, I want to protect these kids, man. I'm, I'm such an overprotective father with my little girls, my daughters that, Um, when I'm with somebody else's kid, I'm just like, Oh, and, um, that trust that you have as a child, um, to these adults that you think, you know, honest, you gotta be trust, um, isn't always there, you know, and that it's happening again. What happened in the eighties is happening. That's why I brought this up. It's happening again where you're seeing a lot of youth and a lot of parents getting behind the youth, pushing these kids at a really really young age. Um and next thing you know they're traveling with people that are way older than them and that to me is like no good, Kyle. That's a no good thing. Whew, Man
0: did did you um kind of like recognize what was happening
2: when you got was, molested
0: or like was it I was confusing? Smart. So or? I
2: was I was molested twice, Kyle. I was molested as a young kid. And uh As, like, an eight year old boy, seven year old boy. And then I was on in Coronado with this team captain. And I was street smart already. I'm 12 years old, but I'm street smart. And he was doing things, feeding me beer, doing whipping out, you know, porno magazines and doing all kinds of things that were red flags to me. And at 11 o'clock at night, He like threw his leg over me in the bed. We slept in the same bed. It wasn't uncommon. That's what I'm saying. You know, like if you go on a trip right now and you're with, you guys get one, one room and one bed and there's, you're a 14 year old and you're with your chaperone and he's 40, you guys are sleeping in the same bed, you know? Uh, Yeah. He threw his leg over me middle of the night and I pretended to wake up and said, Hey, I haven't called my mom yet. Forgot to call my mom. Did I need to call my mom? He opened the door to his house. I just ran. I ran into the night and I found a harbor, uh, a border patrol in Coronado at the Safeway and just, uh, the rest is history. You know, we just, they saved me and we found the guy and they took him to court and yada, yada, yada. <sighs> mm-hmm. And well, so like I'm, when, when I'm hanging with kids, I'm always like, or I'm watching, I'm pretty you know, I but, watch a lot of the people.
0: But do. you felt like it was definitely like molestation when he was. When oh, fudge! Were, I don't even yeah. want to get into yeah, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, we yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he Heavy, was fondling man. me and doing wow. all kinds of crazy shit. Oof. Um, and it was creepy. That's so fucking creepy, creepy man. man. <laughs> and shit. Um, Yeah. And so I see, like I'm saying, I'm seeing that now with the youth. I think that it skipped a generation. It seems like where there was, uh, po- uh, surfing wasn't as popular, say, 15 years ago. As it is now. No way. You know, right. now it's like every little kid, you know, there's like, there's anyway. Yeah. I just, I, I have that fear in the back of my mind that this is, there was a, uh, um, a case too on the East coast where a kid got killed.
0: So what do you think are some of the solutions to this? Like, because they're, I mean, surfing is a, it's an organized sport, but it's also disorganized and still is like those situations might occur. Like, what do you, do you think that doing these kinds of like board riders clubs and having, I just um, think having
2: more parental, the parents being involved, right? the parents just being involved, whatever it may be. Um, not so much like being the, uh, really pushy parent for the results, but just being involved, yeah. understanding who their children are with. And, um, yeah. What, um, what advice
0: do you, would you have given your younger self now, you know, going up through that world?
2: What, um, what advice, maybe, maybe something I would have done differently, um, I wanted my freedom at too young of an age. I thought I was grown up too young. And I should have just pumped the brakes, you know. I didn't need to be so um, independent. I wanted my independence at a young age. And uh, I thought I actually knew everything by the time I was 12. I honestly, like, I have it figured out. I got it. And um, that, I think, is uh, that ignorance or that naive uh, brain can get taken advantage of really easily.
0: Yeah fuck man heavy stuff well i appreciate you sharing i know that it's uh, that's super personal and yeah, it um, was a weird
2: I, thing there but, but I, was... I
0: think that it's important to talk about this kind of stuff publicly because a lot of people are yeah. afraid to talk about it and then it goes it goes um un, unnoticed you know yeah. largely so i think that these these tough conversations that you're willing to bring up are really important. Uh-huh. It's, it's important to have the conversation. Even if, if you don't know the solution to it, I think that talking
2: yeah. about it is the first step. Total I'm not going to sit here and complain about everything that. No, I don't happened. think, I don't
0: think you're complaining at all. No. I think that you're, you're just being honest about yeah. experiences that, and what you're seeing in the world. Um, and I think that that's, Fucking important to do, you know. And if more people did it, then people would come forward with with uh, solutions. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's end on a let's end on a positive note here. Yeah, yeah.
2: Let's um, reel it in. Reel it in. What kind of boards you riding these days, man? Well, right now I'm um I'm riding a Marcio a, Marcio, a Sharp Eye, mm-hmm. and then I have um, Kelly Slater's Gamma Omni Sci-Fi. And I'm also riding this M13 by Channel Islands. It's a 7.0, 20 inches wide, 2 and 7 8, 48.8 liters. <laughs> I think it's a monster wave catching magnet. Um, that board is a lot of fun. Um, I got an 8.8 or an 8.6 right now being shaped by Steve Coletta. And I also have another really, really, really fun board from Pat Taylor. Old school. Stinger Pat Taylor. And
0: uh Do you feel like that's helped you or you get a lot better at surfing as a result? Just like continuing
2: continuing to ride old weird funky boards? Uh well, along the lines of wanting uh still having or still doing this, I think that you still want to have fun and that a lot of times is taking out equipment that might even challenge yourself and make you look like a kook. Uh huh. Cook, uh-huh. cook like, for life. Cook for life. Like I watch some of these cats with those uh, the finless boards and stuff. I'm like, that is so hard, like really hard. And then uh, give it a try. I'm like, fudge. So I think in the future I'm going to try the foiling because after watching Kyle Lanny, there's nothing that would satisfy me more than riding an eternally long wave with no bump on it. And it looks like that's what he does. <laughs> he writes- I,
0: was, <laughs> I was just looking at Instagram before you came over and, and he posted something that said, I just broke my record for most consecutive waves ridden without stopping stopping 11 waves no way yeah i and i um i was writing a story about uh foil surfing so I, so i had to learn how to i didn't have to learn how to foil surfing i got to learn how to i had i had a a motivator yeah to actually learn how to do it because it's fucking hard it's a difficult sport hear that and uh learning curves flat learning curve yeah and you've you go head over heels a few times and almost take your head off a couple times as well but uh Okay. I figured out how to do it and the amount of power that a foil board provides and the speed and velocity that gener- that is generated on a one foot wave is like nothing I've ever felt. It feels like you stand up and with the right weight distribution, it feels like you have a rocket ship attached to the back of you. That's what I want. So I think that that's in Adam Rep Replogle's 2018. Yeah, this looks future. like a good,
2: uh, nothing better than feeling the glide. And it looks like that's just the ultimate glide. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, hey, man, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down. You're welcome, pal. Thanks, thanks for the honest conversation. Man. Yeah, you're welcome. I, we I didn't even talk it. about
2: much about surfing, but that was cool.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Before I let you go, I wanted to acknowledge that there was a section in this conversation that I feel like I didn't handle as well as I could have. Adam was brave enough and transparent enough and vulnerable enough to talk about a traumatic event in his life. And I wanted to go more deeply into it, but I feel like I didn't handle it as well as I could have. And I bring that up because as a society, when friends or family come forward to us with stories of rape or molestation, how we respond matters immensely. And it is so important that we provide a space for them to be heard um, and not feel judged. Uh, And that's how we can move past this. So we live and we learn, but um, I felt that it was important that I acknowledge that. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. You can reach out to Adam on Instagram, um, write a nice comment. My guests always love hearing from you. I'm also on Instagram. You can give me feedback on the show. And until next time, I hope that you all get some time off of work because we have some good waves coming. So get out there and enjoy this beautiful ocean of ours. I'm going to play you out with a song called Flashing Lights by Sourgrass. See you soon.